don't know about you, but I'm ready to take a mission trip to Cambridge, Massachusetts, huh? Harvard Square. Go there. What did Jesus really say about himself? As that young man shared just a moment ago, to say that he's the only way to God, well, that does seem very exclusive. It doesn't seem humble. And we know uh, from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says, blessed are the meek or the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. What did Jesus really say about himself? To find out, let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. It may be found on page 1146 of your pew Bible. John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Listen to the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, please speak through me that the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray in all God's people said, amen. Amen. Did you know that there are reportedly over 4,000 different religions in the world today? 4,000. I actually have a pie chart here from Pew Forum that'll give you kind of an idea of the percentages. You can actually see that the largest group are Christians. There are 2.2 billion Christians in the world today. Islam is second with uh, 1.6 billion followers. And then this third largest group is actually unaffiliated. Uh, Many would say agnostic, atheist. Those who haven't made made a commitment to a particular belief system aren't sure who God is, like many of the people probably in Harvard Square today. Followed by the unaffiliated is the Hindus and the Buddhists. So over two-thirds of the world's population would reject that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And yet in our text this morning... Jesus makes the very bold statement in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you think Jesus would make such a bold claim today? If if he was living in our pluralistic society where over 72% of the world did not recognize him as the Son of God. Well, how many people actually believed that he was the Son of God when he made this statement in the first century? in the upper room. Now, there were people like Martha and Mary and Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There was the blind man that Jesus had given sight to, the the lame man that Jesus had allowed to walk. Of course, he's got his 12 disciples. Wait, make that 11, because Judas has just left the room to go betray Jesus. Jesus' own younger brothers didn't recognize him as the Son of God. They used to mock him, if you'll recall, in earlier part of the Gospel of John. Mary, his mother, thought he was special. Of course, every mother thinks we're special, don't we? At this time in Jesus' ministry, I would say when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except through me, maybe 20 people really thought that he was the Son of God, the, the Lord, the great Messiah. 
Today, there are over two billion Christians in the world today who confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. So if Jesus was here on this earth today teaching us in person, I'm quite confident that he would still be willing to make this bold claim. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. After all, he said it in an upper room when there was just 20 or so people who believed that he was the Son of God in the first century. Today, there are over 2 billion people who believe that Jesus is Lord. But what about all those other world religions that we have today? If Jesus was here today and exposed to the myriad of different faith systems that we have today, would would he still be so bold in claiming that he is the way, the truth, and the life? When it comes to world religions, there were plenty in Jesus' time, weren't there? It's true that Jesus was in a, a room with just Jews when he makes that statement. He's in the upper room. He's just washed his disciples' feet. He's instituted the Lord's Supper, and he makes this bold claim to a room full of Jews. But before the Jews were under Roman rule. They were under Greek rule. And both the Romans and the Greeks believed that there were many gods, didn't they? And before Israel was under Greek rule, it was under Persian rule. And before that, it was under Babylonian rule. And before that, it was under Assyrian rule. And all of these different nations had different gods, a myriad of gods that they all worshipped. Yes, in the first century, Jesus knew that there were many different world religions, as did all of his disciples in that room that night. The first century was just as pluralistic as our culture is today. Yet Jesus insists on saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does Jesus mean exactly? Well, Jesus probably means two things. The Greek word for way can mean two things. It can mean way as in the way of life. And it can mean road, as in the road to a particular destination. As Eugene Peterson appropriately uh, uh, translates verse 6 of our text by saying, Jesus said, I am the road, also the truth, also the life. No one gets to the Father apart from me. Roads, as we know, are built so that people might travel from one location to another location. Jesus is the road so that humanity might travel from its sinful state to our holy righteous God. As we continue to read John's gospel, we will see that this road to heaven is ultimately paid with Jesus' blood, is it not? Jesus did for us what we could not have done for ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father, and then He died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God, so that our sins could be atoned for once and for all. As we stand before God's judgment seat, We're all going to be found guilty of sin. For as Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know from Romans 6.23 that the wage of sin is death. However, instead of receiving the just punishment that our sin deserves, Jesus paid the price for our sins with his life and with his death. Painful, painful death. For when Jesus died on a cross, he became a curse for us. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus' death, his crucifixion crucifixion specifically, uh, made a way for us to be reconciled to God. By Jesus becoming a curse for us, he paid the price for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. Every other religion in the world today talks about what we have to do to get to God. 
Christianity talks about what Jesus has already done for us. If my access to God is dependent on my ability to live a righteous life, to, 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 to never sin, I will fall woefully short because I sin every day, and I'm sure you do as well. There are sins that I commit willfully, like when I say a, a harsh word out of frustration, and then there are sins that I omit, that I commit when I fail to do what God has called me to do. There are sins of omission. I commit when I fail to do what God wants me to do, like loving my neighbor as myself or treating others the way that I'd want to be treated. Now, in my self-centeredness, I often fail to do that. In fact, I fail to do it every day. We all do. In the book of James, we read that in James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. If we fail in just one area of the law, we become accountable for all of it. Did you know that in the law of Moses, there are 613 laws, rules that we're supposed to obey? 613. It's impossible for any of us to obey 613 rules to be perfectly righteous. No one in all their best efforts could possibly do all that the law requires of us. No one except Jesus. Is Jesus truly proved to be a fulfillment of the law? In fact, when Jesus hangs on the cross, as you read in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30, what does he say? It is finished. Let's say that together. It is finished. There's nothing more for us to do, is there? Yes, the free gift of God's Son has been given to us in Jesus Christ, and He's paid the price for our sins so that all that we have to do to receive this gift is believe in Him. The gospel of grace tells us that God has done it all for us. Now, this idea that Jesus is the only road, the only way to salvation is very consistent with, Je- with what Jesus had been saying throughout the Gospel of John. As you read in the Gospel of John, specifically chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee in the dark of night, Jesus tells him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And the verse 18, which we don't often read, says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know, I often hear people say that when it comes to different world religions, it's as if we're all trying to climb the same mountain and we all have different paths and different ways. And eventually, as long as we're sincere in the faith system we hold, eventually we'll all get to the top. Well, that's not at all what Jesus is saying in John 14, verse 6, is it? Jesus is making it quite clear. He is the road. There is no other road. But how can Jesus say such a thing? I mean, such a bold proclamation that he's the road. There's no other way. I mean, as the guy in the video shared just a moment ago, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing you would think Jesus would say, right? We always think of Jesus as humble, meek, and mild. How would a humble man make such a bold statement that he's the road and there's no other road possible? Let's keep reading the Gospel of John chapter 14 so we might understand why Jesus is able to make such a bold statement. In John chapter 14, beginning at verse 8, we read, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, 
But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus can make this bold statement because the Heavenly Father is in him. He and the Father are one. And Jesus says, if you don't believe me, well, at least believe the works you've seen me do. If you read the Gospel of John, you will see that Jesus is, in John chapter 2, turns water into wine. It's an amazing miracle. Everybody wants to have Jesus at their party. <laughs> Jesus gives sight to a blind man. He allows a lame man to walk. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus does some amazing miracles. And he's telling his disciples, don't you know that the Father is in me? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Who else could do these amazing works? But how can we in the 21st century be so sure that the miracles of Jesus really happened? I mean, like that guy said, we're, we're basing our faith on a, a book that in some ways, parts of it at least, were written 3,000 years ago. Of course, the New Testament was written in the first century AD. How can we be so sure that the miracles that the apostles tell us actually happened? Well, as followers of Jesus, there's only one miracle that we must believe without a doubt, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. If we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then as the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are most to be pitied because our faith is in vain. So let's consider the evidence just for a moment, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who saw the risen Jesus exactly? Well, the 11 disciples all testified that they had seen the risen Jesus. In fact, immediately after Jesus was crucified, you'll remember that those disciples go into hiding. And it appeared as if the religious movement of Jesus was dead, that it was going to die because their leader had died. But then on the third day, Jesus rose again and he made himself known to his disciples. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, was able to touch the holes in Jesus' hands and touch the hole in Jesus' side. And these fearful, previously fearful disciples became bold witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And they began to boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ alone is Lord and they had seen him because he'd risen from the dead. And 10 of these 11 remaining disciples, as history tells us, not the Bible, but as history tells us. Ten of these remaining 11 disciples all died as martyrs for their faith. They died because they declared that Jesus, Jesus Christ alone is Lord, because they declared that Jesus Christ had in fact risen from the dead. The most logical explanation for the life of the disciples and their commitment to preach the good news that Jesus is risen is that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead. I mean, who would willingly die for a life? Anyone knew that Jesus had really risen from the dead, it would have been these 11 disciples, right? But then 10 of these 11 disciples are then willing to die later for the proclamation that Jesus is risen. Now, who would willfully die for a lie? No one would. If it wasn't true, why would they die for that lie? Not all of them, or 10 of the 11 of them. Yes, because they had seen the risen Jesus, they couldn't help but proclaim that he's risen, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the great I am, and as John reminds us in our text this morning that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus proves to be the way, the road to our Heavenly Father because ultimately he paved the road for you and me to be with God. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has paved a way so that we might be reconciled to God once and for all if we simply believe in him. In this resurrection, Jesus has defeated sin and death on our behalf. 
Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are all grace, God's unmerited favor towards us. It's not something we deserve. It's simply something God gives to us. Every other belief system tells you what you've got to do. We talk about what Jesus has already done. We simply receive it as a gift. Now, in my mind, the only viable option, the only viable way to heaven is through Jesus. Because if it's up to us and our righteous acts, we will all fall woefully short. Have you accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ in your life? Now, it's 8.30 and you're here, so I imagine you probably have. (laughs) After all, we're here this morning. But once we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then what? Are we just free to live however we want? Well, as I shared just a moment ago, when Jesus says, I am the way, the way, the Greek word can mean road, but it also can mean the way, the way to live. As Bob pointed out just a moment ago in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we read these words, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 32 through 33, Moses tells the people of Israel, you shall be careful therefore to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. You may live and that it may go well with you. That you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Through the Ten Commandments, through the Shema, the most important commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, God has given us very clear direction on how we are to live. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel are told to walk in the way of the Lord, to live according to God's perfect law. In Jesus, we have now been given a living example of how we ought to love God with all of our heart mind, soul, and strength, and how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus is the way because as God incarnate, God in the flesh, he has shown us the way to live. We had the written law, but we needed someone to demonstrate God's law to us, to show us how to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, to show us how to love our neighbor as ourselves by doing to others as we would have done to us. You know, the mission statement of our church is to discover and live the way of Christ in the expansive grace of God. It's a wonderful statement there. Discover and live the way of Christ in the expansive grace of God. Why don't we read that together? Discover and live the way of Christ in the expansive grace of God. To live the way of Christ is to do the kinds of things that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. And if we think about the kinds of things that Jesus did, Jesus, first and foremost, he was a servant, wasn't he? For as Jesus says in Mark 10, verse 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This next Saturday, we're going to have a wonderful opportunity for all of us to serve. You may notice that in your uh, bulletin, there's a wonderful handout here that's the Saturday of service. As you look inside, you can see the myriad of opportunities that we have. We've got morning opportunities and opportunities for the afternoon. And during the service, if you feel so convicted, you'd like to sign up, you can just turn on the back, put your name down, an email and phone number, and then check the one that you want to participate in, and we'll follow up. And you can make this a part of your offering to us this morning. In order for us to experience the truth of Jesus and the abundant life that Jesus came to bring, we need to put our faith into practice, don't we? And we need to begin to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. Jesus did a lot of things. Jesus prayed. Jesus spent time in solitude with his heavenly father. Jesus memorized and meditated on God's holy word. But more than anything, Jesus served. 
His whole life was in service to others. Jesus' intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father led him to serve others, to give his own life for others. If we want to walk in the way of Jesus, then we need to walk in the way of service, do we not? During this worship service, I want you to pray about how God might be calling you to serve your neighbor. And if you can join us for this Saturday of service, this upcoming Saturday, that would be great. Love for you to be a part of it. Last year, you may remember, we did a Sunday of service during the, the worship hour. We went out and served rather than going to worship, and we, were, we, were, we went to be the church rather than to go to church, which was a great experience. We've actually got a video here I want to share with you, we're going to talk about so you can see and just re- refresh our memories about what happened last year. Last year was a great experience, wasn't it? And we did it on Sunday. However, as we kind of evaluated last year, we realized that many of our ministry partners aren't really normally opened on Sundays. And so here we are, we're trying to serve them. We say, hey, could you, could you open on Sundays for us? And they said, okay, sure. And, and we kind of looked back and said, wouldn't it be better if we, we, we did it on a Saturday when they're normally open for service rather than trying to bless them by making them open on their day off? So we're going to do a Saturday of service, and, and, and this is a great opportunity for you to get involved. But our service... So our community shouldn't be limited to one day a year, should it? Our service, guided by the Holy Spirit, should reflect itself every day of our lives. Whether that be in our families or in our, our neighborhoods or in our places of work, we should seek to ask the Lord to guide us in how we can help others. After all, right before these controversial words that Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, in John chapter 13, he had just washed the disciples' feet. A task that you couldn't even require a Jewish slave to do. Jesus humbled himself, put on the towel, and washed the disciples' feet. And told them, if I, your master, are willing to wash your feet, so you ought to do one another. If our Lord and Savior is willing to serve us, shouldn't we be willing to serve others? So how can we do that? What are some of the things that we can do to serve others? Well, we can do some simple things, like we can go through our closet and donate some old clothes. We can give a bag of non-perishable food items to a homeless person who's peddling on the streets. We can clean up trash within our neighborhood. We can bring brownies to a new neighbor when they come and welcome them to our neighborhood. We can volunteer to serve as a mentor in the, through the Presbyterian Children's Home. They're looking for mentors. Or you can come and be a reader at the Opportunity School here in our congregation. What a blessing it is that Darren Murphy is a member of our church 
is head of the Presbyterian Children's Home. And what a blessing it is that Jill Goodrich, the head of the Opportunity School, is a member of our congregation. What an opportunity we have to bless these two wonderful ministries. If you want to help a needy family, you can get involved in our neighbor, uh, friend-neighbor program. You can talk to Murray or Will after the service about how you can get involved, and you'll become one of three uh, friends to one of our needy neighbors in the San Jacinto area as those young moms try to get a GED and complete their education. And we can help guide them through the different uh, uh, social service uh, programs of our community so they can get the food they need and the clothes they need. We can also ser- you can also serve as a Sunday school teacher uh, to our children in our own church. I know the kids' ministry is currently looking for different Sunday school teachers to rotate in for the month of October. We could certainly use just a one-month commitment, an easy commitment for people. There are ample opportunities to serve, aren't there? And if we want to experience the truth and the life that Jesus came to bring, we should try to walk in the way of Jesus by being a servant above all. A real simple question that we can ask that should guide us in our service to others is, how can I help? Husbands, I'm going to give you a real quick tip here. I'm not a marriage expert, but I I feel like it's going pretty well now because I've learned to ask when I come home, how can I help? That goes a long way. My wife's been with the kids all day. I come home, and I'm tired, and I just want to watch TV. But rather than sitting down and turn on the TV, I say, how can I help? Whether that be with dinner or with the kids. Think about your places of work when you're interacting with coworkers and you hear about someone who's under a lot of stress. You say, hey, how can I help? Or you have a friend who's going through a difficult time. You ask, how can I help? Or maybe you're talking to your children and, and, and talking to them about their homework and their schoolwork, and, and you can tell that they're struggling. You say, hey, how can I help? Four words that can bless someone in a mighty way. How can I help? Let's say that together. How can I help? You know, as a pastor, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals. And at funerals, I've never seen someone celebrate how much stuff someone has We celebrate how much they gave away. We celebrate how they gave of their stuff and they gave of their time to bless others. We celebrate how someone was able to impact the lives of others by serving them. If the way of Jesus is the way of service, if the way of Jesus teaches us anything, it's that greatness is found in serving, not in being served. How can I help? That's a great question we should all ask this week. As you look at the cross, we can see that the way of Jesus is the way of sacrificial service, is it not? Jesus sought to put the needs of others before our own. So let's make that our goal every day this week, that we might ask others, how can I help? Jesus is the way because he's the truth. As God's son, he is the ultimate revelation to us of who God is and who God is ultimately calling us to become. Jesus defines what is true and what is right for you and me today. Jesus is also the way because as God's son is a part of the divine trinity, he is the co-author of life, eternal life, the abundant life that can only be found in him. Finally, Jesus is the way because in his perfect obedience to our heavenly father, he has shown us how to live and how to love and how to serve others. And he's made a way for us to be reconciled to our Heavenly Father if we'll simply believe in him. Guided by the Holy Spirit this week, may we seek to discover and walk in the way of Jesus by putting the needs of others before our own, by serving them and asking the simple question, how can I help? 
Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to be for us the way, the truth, and the life. We recognize, Lord, that there are many in our culture today who do not see Jesus as Lord. I pray, Lord, that in our service to them, they might experience the love of Christ firsthand through us, and their eyes might be open to the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus that was led by his sacrifice, the way of Jesus that leads us to serve others today. By your Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us as we seek to help others and point people to you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.